Hey, what's up? This is uh, another episode of the Recovered AF podcast where we talk about whatever we want is what we talk about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Aaron. Kyle's our other co-host. He's going to give us a quick disclaimer before we get to our guest today. Awesome. Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Uh, we, As always, we like to just do a disclaimer. Uh, even though Aaron and I participate in 12-step programs, that does not make us spokespeople or representative for those programs. Those programs don't have spokespeople or representatives. If they did, they would not want Aaron or myself speaking for them, I don't think. So um, anything that we talk about today, anything our guest talks about, whether that's 12-step related or not, is just our own personal experience. And we like to just keep keep that in the forefront of everybody's mind that uh, we're, we're just sharing our own experience. Everybody we know is having different experiences and that's all to the good. So um, I'm going to let Aaron introduce our guest and explain how we kind of came across this gentleman, Connor, and uh, and then we'll we'll start rolling. So Thanks. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Anything for you. Yeah, buddy. Uh, so our guest today is Connor and Connor reached out to us on uh, Instagram and uh about possibly being a, a a guest on our podcast and i clicked on his profile and checked it out and uh what i saw at the top was recovered heroin addict and i was like you know you're good keep going we good <laughs> sorry we lost our video and it, i confuse easily anyway and uh and i said recovered heroin addict and i was like all right well that's a pretty good start and <laughs> yeah. so uh uh what's up connor how are you welcome to the welcome to the podcast I'm doing great, guys. Thank you uh, for having me. And that's actually one of the sole reasons why I put that uh, in my Instagram bio, because I just want everybody to know where I came from. Yeah, nice. Um, and so like usually on our podcast, we, we, we you know, we, ha we have an idea, we have a little better understanding of how people recovered and how they got well. And uh, sorry, Kyle's clumsy hands over here. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, we're, you know, so we start out with, you know, their, their start with the 12 steps, but we're not really sure how you got, how you got well and how you recovered. Uh, you know, I, I know I looked through your story and, and found out you, you were one of the types that, um, you know, had a lot of, uh, a lot of your first, your first opportunity to get well was not what it took. You went down the road for a while and th sort of thumped and bumped along. It looked like, but, uh, just real quick, let's start with what, how did you recover? What, what, what form did you go to treatment? Did you do the 12 steps? Did you find, you know, just a higher calling in life or what was it that, that finally, uh, where you got to the point where you're able to, to get through? <clears throat> um, yeah, I love that question. Uh, cause everybody's is different, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I would say I pretty much tried all of those. Um, and it was, I guess a process of elimination, but more of a process of self-discovery. Um, and I would say the first thing I tried, well, I, I guess I didn't really choose to try it, but jail was number one. Yeah. So my addiction first led me to jail. Um, I got out of jail and I was on probation. And then I went into a rehab program, an inpatient program. And, uh, you know, at that point in my life, it was still wasn't a problem to me. I was just going because that's what my parents wanted me to do. I was still very young. Um, I had just turned 18. And um, so I went into treatment. I didn't really have an open mind. Um, I didn't get much out of it. Um, and I went to treatment several times, went to jail several times. Um, and none of those ever got me to a point where I made the decision to actually chase my recovery. Mm. Um, I actually didn't really get to that point uh, until 
about four years ago. And uh, I had already been in jail for over 23 months at that point. I had been on probation for several years on and off. I had been in and out of treatment programs. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess that my life just hadn't really gotten bad enough even though, I mean, it, it would have seemed that way on the outside mm-hmm. uh, for me to choose that path of recovery. Um, I actually got to the point of choosing that path when I got out of jail the last time that I got out of jail four years ago. Um, I was still making bad decisions. I was drinking. I was partying, um, you know, not really just doing any of the general right things that you would do to build a life for yourself. And uh, I was driving home from a party one night and I was really, really intoxicated and I got pulled over. Um, and at that moment in my mind, I was like, man, you know what? I'm on probation right now. Like I'm going back to jail. I had already made up my mind. Um, so the cop comes up to my car and he asked me for my driver's license and I give him my driver's license. It's like the longest two minutes of my life. (laughs) And, uh, he comes back to the car and he looks at me with this look. And at that time, I didn't really know what the look was. Um, it was just more so like this look that he like really, really cared about me. Hmm. Um, and he asked me if I had anybody that could come pick me up. And, uh, you know, it blew me away. Cause I was like, all like survey says jail right now mm-hmm. in this moment. Right. Like, why is this guy asking me if I can get somebody to come pick me up? At that point in my life, every time I had made a bad decision and got into trouble, even though it was all my decision, I had always gotten some sort of like punishment, whether it had been jail, rehab, some sort of form of getting my freedom taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, this guy offered me another option. He offered me the option of having my freedom and having somebody to come pick me up, putting the ball in my court for me to make a decision on if I wanted to continue living my life that way. So I woke up the next morning and I deleted all the contacts out of my cell phone. Uh, that next morning, I looked at myself in the mirror and I really, really made a decision that I was going to change what I was doing in my life. And then I came to realize later on that the reaction that the cop was giving me and the whole reason why he let me uh, get somebody to come pick me up that night was empathy. Mm. I still haven't met that cop in t- uh, to this day, but it could only be that. Like, for this guy to look at somebody who every uh, arrow points, this guy should get arrested right now and be taken back to jail, uh, you know, for all of these things. For him to let me go, he had to have some form of belief that I could find a better life. And from that day forward, I haven't looked back, which is the craziest thing because I've overdosed, technically died, jail, 23 months, six rehabs, homeless. None of that got me sober. None mm. of that. Mm. Wow. And so from that day forward, what was your path like? I mean, it's tough to go from one extreme to the other overnight. So, I mean, what kind of trajectory were you on? I mean, I get a, we've seen your Instagram. I mean, it looks like you, you've really made a life for yourself and your father now and all this stuff, but how do you go from that day to where you are now? What does that path look like? Well, I'd say it's the same path as any success. It's all incremental, right? So you do small things every single day to build up to this level of success that you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first decision was, <clears throat> and I'm sure many people say this, uh, especially in the 12-step program, people, places, and things, right? So when I woke up the next day, I deleted all the contacts out of my phone. Step one, I'm not going to be around any of those people anymore because I know where it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, step two was having the willingness to believe that I could create a better life for myself 
uh, and not give up at the first sign of something getting hard. Because for me as an addict, that's what I did my whole life. Hmm. You know, I would, I love the feeling of being motivated. Right. But I never actually executed on the motivation. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that Speaking way. Our language, you know, everybody man. loves that feeling. Everybody loves to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, mm, like that. Everybody loves it. But when it comes to a point where you actually have to put in the work, it's a different story. Right. Yeah, so at, at this point, I made a decision that I wasn't going to give up at the first sign of things getting hard. And I was actually going to see it through at all costs. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest part of my story is making the decision to see it through at all costs, because there's so many things that come up, especially in young, like when you're recovering and, and you're super young into you're like a year in, six months in, like, I mean, there's plenty of things that can come up where you can get tempted and, and fall weak to those things. Uh, but I made a decision that day that I wasn't going to give up at the first sign of things getting hard. Wow. So it was that, um, second was finding a career, um, my so I actually have two careers. My first career was uh, my dad started a trucking company when I was really young. It's it was when I was maybe like five years old, mm-hmm. um, and he built that trucking company up from scratch um, up until the point of 2017. And uh, in 2017 was when I begged him basically to give me a job um, because I knew I needed stability in my life. You know, I had I had done so many things up until that point. I had stole from my parents. Uh, you know, I had uh, just a terrible teenager and uh, young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had begged my dad to give me a job because I knew I needed the stability. So I, he gave me a job. I worked, I worked, I worked. Um, that's like all I did for three years. Put my head down to work. I didn't go on vacation. I worked every weekend. Uh, I didn't see friends. I didn't go to parties. Um, because I had made a decision that I could uh, possibly turn that business into my own one day. And uh, two years ago, we sat down and uh, we co-founded a new business together. And that business now uh, in 2019 did over $50 million in revenue. Wow. Um, but that was also a huge factor in my recovery because I didn't have time to do anything else. I didn't have time to think about anything else. All I did was work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. And then came another point in my recovery. Then came a burnout point where it was like, man, I've done this for the last three or four years, like, I don't even know about anything else in life. Hmm. Like I I got to a point where I felt so operationally burnt out. And, uh, you know, it was around last that really around this time last year. Um, and this was before I had become open about sharing my story or anything. This is before I had found photography and videography, like you guys see on my Instagram, Mm -hmm. uh, and in comes this second business. So I found photography and videography through a creative outlet from all the operational tasks that I was dealing with in the business every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became my outlet rather than going to something that would have impacted me negatively, such as partying or drugs or just hanging around the wrong people. Um, you know, I found this uh, creative outlet through photography and videography. And that's another thing that propelled my recovery into the next uh, direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say you have your photography is incredible. Did you have any prior experience with any of that? Or did that, did you just go, you know what, I'm going to pick up a camera and see what happens. Cause to me, that's like uh, a natural gift. You know what I mean? You have an eye for it. You can sure. tell. So like, sure. where does that come from? Yeah. So um, the only prior experience I had had with it was uh, the first time I tried to get clean. Um, 
it was actually when I was taking college classes and uh, I actually bought a camera with student loan money instead of paying for the classes. Mm. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, so that was my first experience with it. And I liked it, but uh, I just didn't stick with it. You know, that was the nature of what I did in my life. I picked something up and then when it got difficult, I'd put it down and move on to something else until that thing got difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So this time it's same scenario. I decided to pick it up and actually follow through with it and put in the work and see how good at it I could get. Um, and I basically learned everything from the internet, from watching YouTube videos, from other photographers, um, and, and and it just grew from there. Wow. Yeah, one thing that you said that struck my ear was you talked about having to put in the work. Like, that's the thing that I always missed out too, especially in my addiction, was... Uh, you know, I lacked perseverance because like you talked about earlier, I love that feeling of motivation. But then when shit got hard, you know, I would just uh, fold my tent and go home. And that was it for me. And I just wasn't, I always wanted the results of all the things that I saw people around me have, but I was unwilling to take risk. I was unwilling to put in the work. I was unwilling to risk failure. And, uh, so here you talk about that. That's good shit, man. Mm-hmm. What, uh, usually we, you know, usually, uh, I don't like to go back too much, but I do want to a little bit go back, um, to more towards the beginning of your story because there are several kinds of people especially when it comes to um you know like an opiate addiction that i see and and one of those class i I really feel bad for and those people that have you know otherwise haven't had any experience with drugs or alcohol and they have an injury and they and they start doing the pain medicine and then they and then they get you know taken off and then the, the withdrawal symptoms are too bad and then there's people like me that if i didn't have opiates i was going to have something and i had alcohol before that and you know like um you know for those you know for those people like me uh you know the thing that was um you know it wasn't anybody's fault it wasn't just bad luck there was something broken inside of me and i was using opiates and i was using alcohol you know as a matter to deal with life but i know that you said that you did uh sustain an injury because you were a baseball player but i also thought that i read in there too that um even when you got removed from the opiates you were still hitting the bottle and everything else pretty hard is that like how like because you you said you know previous to this uh that you weren't the best son and we certainly have experience. Yeah. My dad got tired of getting called from getting calls from the cops that we've got your son sure. here again. Yeah. So like, uh, what, what was it for you? Yeah. So, um, it actually did start with an injury. Um, so I was a baseball player my whole life. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about anything else. I was raised a hundred percent. My goal was going to be a professional baseball player. Mm. And, um, you know, I was on the track to potentially get there in high school. Um, in my sophomore year, I injured my shoulder, um, and I had to get rotator's cuff and labrum surgery mm. on my shoulder. So I was out for the whole season. And up until that point, uh, being the kind of person that only cared about that and had only worked towards that kind of goal his whole life, I felt like everything had been taken away from me. Mm. Um, and it was kind of like, I took on this victim mentality, uh, where it was like, okay, now the world is out to get me. Like, what did I do to deserve this type of deal? Um, and you know, I was only 16 at that point. So I didn't have really like a lot of self-awareness. I, I, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now about, you know, being a victim and whatnot. So of course, this is all kind of natural to me at that point. Um, so I got the surgery, I got prescribed, uh, I think it was the oxycodones, 
um, and I took those. And uh, it was nice because it was such a relief from the pain, but also such a relief from that feeling of emptiness, mm -hmm. uh, that feeling of having nothing to really live for at that time. It was like all I wanted to do every single day is press fast forward to the end of this injury. Mm -hmm but I couldn't. So I took the pills to get my mind off the thought of wanting to press fast forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and when those ran out, um, I, I had already smoked marijuana up at that point. Um, but when those ran out, I started hanging around with kids in my school that I never really hung around with before. Cause I knew they, you know, did drugs and I knew I could probably access it through those guys. Yeah. The loadies. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, I, uh, I started smoking a lot. Uh, people were taking Xanax and pills like that in high school. So I gravitated towards that. Um, and there came a point where I couldn't go through my, this was in high school too, where I couldn't go through a day of class without getting messed up, mm -hmm. whether it be drinking in the car during a 30 minute break, uh, whether it be smoking, sneaking off campus to get high, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, and that's really what led me to my addiction because I actually used intravenous drugs for the first time when I was 17. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in high school. Yeah. So it was mostly the fact that I had got injured plus the curiosity, I guess, of hanging around with those kind of people that I hadn't really hung out with before because it's, it was like, I couldn't really hang out with my friends that I was hanging out with. They were doing all this active kind of shit. Right, I couldn't right. do any of that. Right. Right. What was your relationship with your parents like during that time? And um, like, had you had they had any experience like that, you know, and any family members that had had any drug or alcohol problems or were they just like, what in the fuck is going on with Connor? He's just all of a sudden completely off the rails. Like, what was that relationship like with them? Yeah, so um, I actually grew up both my parents were alcoholics growing up, okay. um, mom and dad. Uh, my mom got sober when I was about 10 um, and my dad got sober like right before I went off the rails. Okay. Um, so it was kind of weird. It was like, I had seen my parents turn their lives around and I was like going on the exact path that I had, uh, sworn to myself that I wouldn't go down. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a lot of resentment towards my parents. Um, I hadn't dealt with, you know, a lot of the pent up emotions that I had had from my childhood at that point. Um, and I didn't think either of us were in a position to make those discussions at that time because they were early in their recovery. So they were learning about themselves and mm -hmm. I was early into my addiction. Hmm. So uh, it was kind of just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So you talked about um, just their dealing with resentment and stuff. And I see a lot of your message today on, on Instagram is about, you know, internal self-talk and positive self-talk and getting rid of the negativity. How do you go about doing that? You know, like in a 12-step program, there's inventory that people write and all of that stuff. How did you go about dealing with that stuff? Did you see, Aaron and I have both seen trauma therapists, um, you know, we've seen sure. counselors and stuff. How did you go about kind of changing the internal stuff that was going on, not so much, you know, just getting away from drugs, because that, at least in my experience, is kind of, you know, half of the battle is getting away physically, yeah. but then it's like, I got to deal with all this internal shit now, so how did you go about 100%. doing that? I think, uh, and I'll even say it to this day, I don't think I ever had a drug problem. I think it was completely emotionally based. Mm -hmm. um, and drugs were just what I ended up turning to to deal with the emotional problem. Um, so what I got, what helped me tremendously, and I'm a huge advocate for it, is going to counseling. Mm -hmm. um, I My whole life, I always made fun of it. 
you know, uh, I always thought like, hey, man, you have to go to that. Like, you're weak. That's just like how I was raised was like, hey, you don't have feelings. You know, you just get over it. You get through it and move on to the next. Yeah. That was how my mentality was my whole life up until three years ago when I went to counseling. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a game changer for me. I went into it actually required by probation uh, to go to counseling. So I went into it without an open mind and I didn't really end up getting anything out of it until I had been going for like a year. Um, so I went every week for like a year before I got to a point where I was like, man, you know what? Like maybe I could get something out of this. Wow. Um, and then it was like this switch in my mind just flipped and I just opened my mind to all of these possibilities for growth. Um, and that's really where I learned every everything that I talk about to this day, I learned through counseling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you also talked about, even up into a couple of years ago, not really, for lack of a better term, living your recovery out loud. Like you talked about kind of sure. not being open about that. What transpired for you to make that decision to go from not talking about it to it being on, on your Instagram and you're posting about it, you're doing podcasts about it. What is it just confidence in the new you or what happened where you decided that you were going to take that stance? Uh, that plays a part, but there was a huge event um, that happened that kind of really gave me courage to make the decision to share my story. Um, so last year, uh, a woman that I'm very close with that's known me my whole life. She actually works very closely with me. Um, she has a, well, she had a son who was my age and last year he passed away from an overdose. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was before, you know, I became open about my story. Like this was before any of that. And, uh, you know, it was so, it was such, it hit me on a different level than I thought that it should have, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, because I get, Yes, it, it didn't directly have to do with me, but this was the part in my life where I was really trying and I was really understanding what empathy was. And I was really, uh, you know, gaining some self-awareness about emotions. Um, and at that time, it was like something clicked inside of me where I felt a huge responsibility to the world, really, um, to, to be able to share my story with the hope that maybe one other kid wouldn't pass away um, because I've seen it happen so many times throughout my life. Wow. Um, so you said your dad had, you know, started a trucking company and, uh, and then that's, you know, your first career. And then your second career is with the photography and the videography and Connor Miller media. And like, uh, I just said, Connor's last name, because usually we don't because our guests are 12 steps. Oh, I'm fine with it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> awesome. uh, and so you started this, uh, uh this, uh, and it says uh, that you're a content creator and, and it's pretty cool. Like we, like we said, we've been through your Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you, um, it seems have that entrepreneurial spirit too. And I was wondering if that's just because Kyle and I were talking about it and like, well, people will hear people on Rogan's podcast or I love to watch Shark Tank. And I'm like, that seems awesome. But I just don't feel like I have the entrepreneurial spirit in me. At the end of the day, I'm just like, whatever it is that drives me to want to go out there and start that and start that I, I think I'm just missing I don't know what it is but it seems like you know that's something that you have and you have in your family is that something that just was able to blossom once you were able to start clearing through the you know wreckage of your past and clearing your mind and deciding what you wanted to be in life yeah I think um it was definitely a blossom from that 
but I mean, my thing is this, like, and this is what I tell everybody, because right now being an entrepreneur, like it's cool, right? It's like the cool thing to do. You know, yeah. you see it all over the internet. Like anybody can put entrepreneur in their Instagram bio and now they are one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it just doesn't really work like that. Like that's not really how it goes because entrepreneurship is hard. It's very hard. Um and uh, it's not for everybody. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Like it's, and it's all based on self-awareness, like whatever makes that individual happy, whether it be starting their own business and working 200 hours or, or whatever, or, or working at a corporate company and working nine to five every day and going home and spending time with their kids. Like if that makes that person happy, then that person won the game. Mm-hmm. Right. But for me, that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to be able to build something uh, for myself because my whole life I had this feeling of inadequacy. Um, I had this feeling that I wasn't good enough and mm-hmm. that I that I needed to build something uh, to be able to feel like I was good enough. Hmm. Um, now, that's not the root of why I do it now. That was the root of why I started it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the root. And it was, I would say it was started for the wrong reason, but it grew into being for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and now one of the reasons is building a platform that's bigger for me to be able to share my story to make a greater impact. Um, so it's, it's really based on the back of building a platform big enough to save as many lives as I possibly can through my story. Hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. I was just going to say what's cool about this podcast is like, so like Kyle has, has mentioned, we, we got well via the 12 steps and deal with that resentment and, and stuff that way. Um, but the stuff you're talking about, about not feeling good enough and being inadequate, those are all stuff that hit our, hit our inventory too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not getting well the same way, but we're experiencing a lot of, which I guess are just a lot of the human condition, you know? So yeah. even sure. we had, you know, our friend that's a chiropractor on the podcast too, and he experienced a lot of those things and he doesn't have any addiction issues. So right. really, you know, that a lot of this comes down to is just, you know, being human and how that manifests in our life. Yeah. Now, um, the as Aaron talked about the, tw- and I'm sure you're familiar, the twelve step world has a, um, a spiritual aspect to it. Is that anything you entertain in your life today? Do you read literature? Do you, you know, do anything? Do you go to church? Is there any spiritual aspect to your life? Um, whatever it may look like, you know, I think being out in nature and stuff like that consists of that. And your photography kind of looks like you do a lot of traveling and stuff. What is, what does that look like for you? Sure. Um, I would say it's quiet time for me because I don't really get a lot of quiet time on a week to week basis. Um, I'm so busy. Uh, trucking is 24 seven. So I'm doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting up fires every single day. I have employees texting me about what's going on in their lives. Right. Um, you know, customers that I'm dealing with every single day. So uh, there's a lot of noise uh, throughout a week to week basis for me. So another reason why I got into photography and traveling was the quiet time and being able to go out at sunrise before anybody's out and be able to have that quiet time with who I believe created our universe, which is God. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's just my personal belief. Um, But yeah, there's a huge spiritual aspect to my recovery. And I think that day that I decided to start sharing my story, it was like I had this overwhelming feeling that I had some sort of person telling me that I had a higher purpose than just living my life uh, selfishly. Um, 
so yeah, uh, spiritual principles. I, I mean, I, I know all about the 12 steps, um, just because I don't practice them doesn't mean they're wrong or right. Um, but I know all about it. And there are several things that I do agree with in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and the higher power is definitely one of them. I would say that I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be here today without a higher power in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from getting recovered is a sense of purpose and a sense of usefulness to, to the people around me, whether that's, you know, at the world level or, you know, my next door neighbor, it's the, the, the sense of direction I get from being a, a healthy and normal person today, you know, and getting to experience that stuff and not being so consumed with me and what's going wrong with me or why isn't it working out for me that I can't even see that I can be helpful to others. So to be able to have that, you know, um, even though, like you said, you agree with a lot of the 12 step stuff, what I hear is a guy who's practicing spiritually principled living daily. I mean, that's what it sounds like you're doing. And, and that's what Aaron and I wanted to start this podcast for was to talk about that and to talk to other people that are doing that and hear about other people's perspective. Cause it, cause everyone might be doing things a little differently and we love that. And so I'm, I mean, it's, it's awesome to hear another story of a guy who's just kind of going through life and recovered from a hopeless place and now has a purpose and direction. I, I love that stuff, man. And I would say, I'll add this one thing about uh, the spiritual aspect is um, the last time I used drugs intravenously, I was in a gas station bathroom and it was like 3 a.m. And, uh, you know, I, I shot enough heroin and cocaine at the same time to go into convulsions and go into an overdose, an overdose state. Um, and as I was falling to the ground in the gas station bathroom, I hit my head on the toilet and it kind of jarred me back to this state of awareness. Um, and I was able to look up for a second and on the top of the toilet on the tank was a pamphlet on the front of the pamphlet. It said your ticket to heaven. And I opened that pamphlet. And from that day on, I practiced spiritual principles in my life, Mm -hmm. uh, every single day. Um, and I still carry that pamphlet with me to this day. And I really believe that I would not be here without my higher power in my life. Wow. That's so awesome. Um, so growing up, Kyle and I played sports growing up. Um, and, uh, without realizing it at the time, you know, one of the things that I got to do was, um, um, scratch that competitive itch that I had that I didn't even know I had that's just part of my makeup and uh, as I've gotten older I found ways to do that I got pretty serious about golf for a while and then uh, and then I got bad at golf again so I got pissed off and quit (laughs) and then I did a couple of short triathlons and I play some rec league softball because I played baseball too now I was not going to college (laughs) I can tell you that uh, to play baseball but I did play and uh, and I play rec league softball, and it's a it's the right amount of competitive. It's competitive enough where we all want to win, but not so much that anybody's going to say anything to anybody else for <laughs> booting it around the infield or whatever. And uh, and so I was wondering if you have that aspect in, in your life anymore, or if that's something you even desire. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm ultra competitive. So I understand completely like it's one of my uh, best strengths, but can also be one of my biggest weaknesses too, if not put in check and use the right way. Um, But yeah, I have the competitive stuff uh, in the office. So I have a team of brokers and um, every single week, it's like a competition on who's going to be able to cover the most amount of freight in the company. And um, sometimes I participate in that. 
um, just because that's where I came from that before I got into this managerial position. So that's uh, kind of strokes that competitive itch that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say for the most part, I've been able to reverse engineer my thinking of competitiveness and turn it into competing with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest strengths that you could have is learning how to compete with yourself. Um, and what I mean by that is you have an image of a person that you want to be um, you know, on top of the wall. And every single day you're doing things in your life to be able to achieve that level of person that you have up on that wall. And that person grows every single day and that person develops. So really you actually never achieve that goal. So you're always in a competition with yourself and you're always learning and growing. And that's the way that I look at competition now. Yeah. I love that perspective because for a long time, it was someone else that I was after. And I was always, always comparing me to that guy and that guy has it better than me, or that guy's always going to be better than me, or I'm never going to get. And like, that's just an unhealthy place for me to live today. So what I've found is I've been doing a lot of running recently and I get better at that. And there's no competition other than with myself and my own time and my own physical effort. And so, yeah, I, I love that perspective though, because Instead, what is the saying matching your insides to someone's outside, something like that? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. But that's what I've lived, you know. My my saying is this compet or uh comparing is a non-winning game period i don't care if you're even doing better than the person better than the person quote unquote that you're comparing yourself to you're still losing exactly you're not you're not, you're not living the life that you're supposed to be living you're living your life and making decisions based on being better than other people and that's not how it's supposed to be exactly i would agree 100 percent um one thing I did want to talk about is fatherhood for you, because um, I've seen you post a few pictures of your baby, and uh, how did that come about? Or did you get married? Uh, do you have a child? What's fatherhood like? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's been a whole new experience as well. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, it's amazing. So I met my wife. Um, I guess it's been. I met my wife actually really, really early into my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my wife before I had been clean for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we met, uh, we were both on vacation. We did long distance at first. Um, and then she moved here to Jacksonville and, uh, we've been together ever since we got married last year, uh, at the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. And we had our first child last, uh, August. Wow. Um, and it's been amazing. It's been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Um, you know, it's, it, it changes the way that you think about things. Everybody says that, you know, you're never going to be able to love anything as much as you love your child. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just never really can grasp that actual feeling until it happens to you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's been great because it's also, I would say it's been part of, uh, jolting me into more of the direction of getting on more of these podcasts and sharing my story even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I have a duty to my son to be able to do that, uh, you know, because I want him to grow up and think, man, look, my dad did all this stuff. You know, uh, my dad helped people. You know, I don't want to make the same decisions my dad did because growing up, you know, my dad told me not to do things. And rather than living his life and having me look at him as an example of what to do in life, he just told me what not to do. Yeah. Uh, and I want to, I want to do the opposite. I want to be living my life by example on yes. what I would like him to have in his life. Wow, that's awesome. It, it helps being shown, shown the way, not told the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna. He said 
mentioned Jacksonville, and mm-hmm. he's wearing a Jacksonville hat. Yeah, we could probably send him down some Broncos gear if he wants. <laughs> so, <laughs> he wants to root for a winner. <laughs> uh, is Denver a winner? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, compared free. to Jacksonville, <laughs> I'm not so sure. Yeah, <laughs> except for like one playoff game in '96. Yeah, um, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I got the underdog mentality, so that's why I like it. Hell yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is uh, what is is your wife in recovery? Does she is she a hundred percent behind your your life of recovery? I mean, what is that like? Because like for me, I'm engaged. I'm getting married here in a couple of months, and and she is in recovery. And Aaron's wife participates in a, in the family fellowship of twelve step stuff, and so we we have significant others that have a good understanding of or at least try to have an understanding what is what is that like for you you know that's always something I like to talk to our guests about yeah so when I met my wife um she didn't know anything about my past Mm -hmm. um I didn't reveal anything about my past this was still when I was early in my recovery Mm -hmm. um I was on probation at the time and she had never had any experience with like that kind of level of law enforcement and stuff like that um so it was different for her Um, you know, and, and I, I give her so much credit for actually having the courage to stick by me Mm -hmm. and, uh, and see me blossom into the person that I am today and and give me that chance. Um, but yeah, she's a hundred percent behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, she doesn't do drugs or anything, which is great. Um, you know, she barely ever drinks. Uh, I would say, I can't even remember the last time she drank. Um, but it doesn't bother me right? either way. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's super supportive, even though she's not in recovery. Um, she knows all about my story. Um, she's very supportive of what I'm doing with it now. Um, and it's nice to have that. I think it's definitely an essential part of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have, so like I have, um, I don't know. It was whenever, whenever Goggins was on Joe Rogan's podcast, the last time David Goggins and he was on there and, and it opened He's up a, an animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it opened up a whole new world and a whole new mentality to me that I didn't even know exist. I'd never even heard of ultra marathons and, or ultra races and, uh, just that whole, and then I, you know, like checked out, um, uh, Jocko and then I read, um, whatever, uh, let, let, uh, Marcus, Marcus Luttrell's book and and I just I just opened up a whole new thing and I was just like um it just it opened up a, a new attitude towards me to where I could be like um man your shit doesn't really matter that much and just so what and just you know and Kyle's thing is Cam Haynes and he's always talking about nobody cares work harder and keep hammering and I was just wondering if you had people either in the in the business world or the photography world or in general that you um, take a little bit of their philosophies and try and apply to your life? Or is there podcasts or books that you read? Like, where do you draw your inspiration from? So I would say my number one mentor period in my life has to be Gary Vee. Right. Um, yeah. And I started watching Gary, I don't know, maybe over three years ago, like three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just, it's just, for, it's not for everyone. I get it. Um, but when I started watching Gary, I was like, holy shit, dude, like this guy, he knows what's up. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and that's what gave me that kick to figure out, uh, you know, the point of my life about self-awareness. I was like, man, you know, this guy knows who he is. Like you could ask him anything and he's not going to freaking stutter. This guy knows who he is as a person. I want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what actually pushed me in more to counseling. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, one of Gary's things is the same thing. Nobody gives a shit like, Mm -hmm. and it's great because really though, like, 
that's the victim mentality, living your life based on the way people you think it makes people feel or if they care, but nobody gives a shit. Nobody yeah, cares about yeah, how exactly. you feel. Uh, no. you know, and, and it's just so true. But if you can get past that point, life becomes such a freeing thing to live because mm-hmm. then you can realize that you can live your life based on the things that you want to feel rather than living your life based on how you think people are going to perceive you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, right. I like Gary Vee a lot. I first found him on a Rogan podcast that he did, but then I've checked a lot of his stuff out on YouTube too. He's a super inspirational dude and no bullshit, which is what I'm down I, for. He was one of the reasons why I got into photography too, because he always talks about, you know, don't do shit you don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a part in my life where like, you know, I love building a business. I love being in the transportation industry, but there was a part of my life where I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there was a part of my life where I said, man, you know, there's gotta be more than just this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what drew me to pick up photography and go that route as well as still maintaining the business. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely think Gary Vee is huge. If anybody's, even if you're not a business person, like it's still a, he's still a great person to listen to just about life principles. Absolutely. Yeah. Where do you see yourself going in the next few years? Like what is your, in, do you have a plan? Do you have a vision of what you want to be doing, what you want to accomplish? Um, do you see your photography continuing to blossom? Like what, what do you kind of envision going on over the next few years for you? Yeah. So number one would be, um, continuing to scale the trucking business. Um, it's been great so far. Um, in the last three years, I mean, we've scaled over a hundred percent in our revenue. Um, so, I mean, it's been amazing. Um, and you know, I I don't want to take, I don't want to step away from that because at the end of the day, there is a part of me that loves that. Um, and I want to keep that part, but, uh, my plan is to continue to develop my skills in the photography and video realm and content creation and continue to take on bigger projects and work with bigger clients. Um, you know, right now, all that kind of stuff is kind of on hold just because of what's going on with the coronavirus and whatnot. Um, I had a few gigs that I was planning on doing that got canceled because of the virus. Um, but yeah, I mean, my plan for the future is to be able to more evenly split my time with the transportation business and photography and have a few people that are like my right hand person that I can go to with the transportation business. So I can take somewhat of a step away from it and put some more focus and time into the other one. Wow. That's cool. Uh, just, this is a little bit off topic, but maybe not. How has the, um, pandemic affected, um, your trucking business? Because uh, at first, you know, we were trying to get supplies out and supplies out, but now it looks like I work for a company that has a freight division and it looks like things are sort of taking a hit in the freight division. And it's like a residential, um, business is up, but our commercial business is down because so many places are closed down. Are you guys faring all right through this or? It's a little yeah, uncertain. So fortunately for us, um, a lot of our customers are essential type customers. One mm. of our biggest customers is Clorox. So mm. we're shipping a ton oh. of stuff for them right now. <laughs> yeah, you're killing um, it. <laughs> yeah. Clorox and Charmin, yeah, so, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, Procter & Gamble as well. And they make oh, all kinds yeah. of cleaning supplies and stuff yeah. like that. So that's one of our biggest customers too. Um, but as far as the overall market, the market has taken a dump over the last month. Um you know, rates to the trucks, rates to the drivers are terrible right now um, due to a lot of places being closed and just too much capacity. Um, it's a supply and demand game, right? So when a lot of these places close uh, and the trucks don't go home and they stay on the road, there's less freight for those trucks. So in turn, making their rates go down. Um, but I, I would say within 
I don't know, I would say by summer when stuff starts to reopen, mm -hmm. uh, the market's going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the rates are going to go through the roof. Uh, there's going to be a lack of capacity because there's a lot of companies going out of business right now, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so all those companies that go out of business, it's just one less truck on the road. And the, uh, the, the more and more that go out of business, the less and less amount of trucks are going to be on the road. So when all these places reopen, there's not going to be enough trucks on the road to ship everything that needs to be shipped. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to make the rates go up. Yeah. So uh, on before you came on here, you did a little uh, post about mm. any questions. I don't know if anybody sent any in that maybe we want to address any of any of your uh, your fans' questions. If so, well, I mean, what are they? Yeah, Let's so talk about them. I picked I picked really like five good ones. Cool. Um, just because I didn't want to go into all of them, some of them I've already answered um, in other Q and A type things. Um, I'm not going to list names or anything. I'll just go on to the questions. Okay. Uh, the first question was most important thing you need to stay sober long-term. And um, I think that's a great question because if you're thinking about the long-term, I think that's probably the best thing you could do. If you've got to a point in your life where you feel comfortable every single day, uh, you know, you've lived this one day at a time life uh, and you're questioning yourself about, Hey, what's, what's going to happen in the future. Like, I think that's a great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say uh, the biggest, the most important thing for long-term recovery is probably self-love, in my opinion. Um, and, and I'll say that because you have to get to a point in your recovery where you could look yourself in the mirror and you can say to yourself, I love myself so much that I'm not going to let myself take that drink. I love myself so much that I'm not going to let myself take that pill. I love myself so much that I'm not going to let myself make a bad decision. Mm -hmm. um, because you know where that road leads. You play that tape all the way through. Um, and you know that you love yourself too much to let yourself go there. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you guys want to chime in at all on these questions, but I'm fine if you guys do as well. Well, just in regards to, you know, what you talked about, about self-love and, uh, you know, I was in a place where I couldn't stand anything about myself when I got here. And, you know, understandably, man, I wasn't living a very good life. I mean, there wasn't a lot to like. Uh, so there's a reason why that. And so like uh, once the way I started living my life started to change and once my actions changed and once I started to become a dependable and an honest person and somebody that could be relied upon and somebody that was uh, forgiving. Once I started to become all those things, it was a lot easier to have a lot more positive view of myself. You know, like I had sure. to, um, you know, when I act different, of course I saw myself differently. Yeah. And I, I think for me, you, you hit on it at the top of the podcast is, um, following through. I think that's the most important thing for long-term recovery is just following through on whatever it is. For me, you know, it's following through on 12-step work. It's following through on on commitments that I make. It's for me to, to live a long-term healthy life. I think I need to remember that uh, following through is a, is a valuable tool that uh, for me, I gained through going through the work, you know, going through a 12-step program. I had a, a psychic change where I started to see the world differently, just like you did. You know, you had a psychic sure. change from from your conversation and that moment where you experienced empathy for the first time. You had a psychic change and shit, shit changed for you. And for me, it's the same thing and to always follow through with, with the things that I'm doing. So, I love it. Um, I'll go into the next one. The next one was a totally different person, but great follow-up question to the first one. It is, how do I gain self-esteem? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the 
biggest uh, struggles that people have with addiction um, is self-esteem. That was one of my biggest struggles. I never felt good enough. I always had this feeling of inadequacy. Um, and, you know, I have great relationship with my parents now today, but a lot of that was from my childhood growing up with alcoholic parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and my answer to that is the way that you gain self-esteem is to just do esteemable shit. Yeah. Like every, Every single day that you wake up, it, it's the same thing as building any kind of long-term success. Like I said earlier, it's incremental. It's little by little. Every single day you do something more esteemable. You do something that's going to make you feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over time doing those esteemable things, it's like compound interest that just grows and grows and grows and grows into this point in your life where you actually feel great about yourself and you start to love the person you are and you start to feel very highly esteemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, if I, you know, if I want to be different, I have to do different. You know, I can't do this, do the same things I was doing and live the same way I was living, and you know, expect to someday, you know, feel feel different about myself. I had to start doing doing things differently, and and one of those things, and you touched on it too, is um, you know, uh, the less I think about myself, and the more I think about others and helping others and doing things for other people just the people in my life my wife or the customers i deal with every day um just um it's amazing how obsessing about myself a little bit less throughout the day can help me have a better view of myself yep yeah 100 i would agree i don't i don't even have anything to add you guys nailed it so yeah cool that's good um so the next question was how do you approach recovery And uh, I feel like this is a pretty open-ended question, which is great because I know everybody approaches it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say the main way that I approach my recovery is uh, on an offensive standpoint. Um, And I'm saying this because I see a lot of people approach their recovery on defense, meaning they're thinking of all the possible things that could go wrong, all the possible things that could trigger them, um, you know, all, all of the worst case scenario outcomes. Um, and I feel like the first response for the most part is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, I choose to attack my recovery uh, on offense, seeing every situation as an opportunity. Um, and every, even if it's a bad situation, you know, quote unquote bad, that can still be used as a learning opportunity. So, uh, I reproach my recovery on offense. Yeah. And I think for me, um, I try to approach recovery and I probably would have had different answers over the, over the years that I've been sober. But, sure. um, today I think it's open-minded. I try to approach it open-minded because the more parameters and close-minded I get and the more restrictive I make things, um, I think the less opportunity I have for success. So I just try to approach things open-minded with an idea that I, that I don't really know that much. And so if I can remain humble in that aspect and just open-minded, I think I have a lot more opportunity to, uh, to, to find success. Yeah. I love that answer. Aaron. Oh, uh, have I, one dude. Well, go. I, I think it's, I have to be willing to work there you go. and, and work yeah. hard. Um, <laughs> I used to I used to just sit around and magically hope the problem would disappear and I'd throw up what we consider foxhole prayers and I'd be like, you know, just you know, God relieve me of this obsession and I was unwilling to do absolutely anything. I just wanted it to go away. You know, and for me okay. like that work looks like, you know, twelve step work and uh or or going to emdr or just you know anything i mean i just it's it, it's just being willing to work i i can't just 
do what I did and sit on my buns and expect the problem to just magically go away. Yeah, true that. I say uh, I say it to my audience all the time on social media, and uh, that is we're in the generation of manifesting. And it's like, hey, guys, look, check it out. I know you want to meditate. I know you want to manifest. I know you want to be rich and all of this stuff in your life. But guess what? You can't. You have to put in the actual work. Yeah. Um, so I love that answer because, yeah, I mean, that's huge, man. You know, so many people want it and they don't want to work for it. True that. True that. Do you have one um, more? Yeah, I got, well, I got two more, but I'll pick one of these. We can let's do both see. of them. I think we're fine. Yeah, let's do them both. One of, one of them is a short, well, I already touched on one of these. It was how do you improve self-awareness? And I was talking about how therapy was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what keeps me clean, service, gratitude, self-aware, huge for me. Um, let me just go through, let's see if I had any other ones. Okay, these are two good ones. Um, does sharing your story or get easy? Does sharing your story get easier over time, or is it hard to keep reliving the past? Um, and my answer to that is, it gets incredibly easier. Um, it gets to a point where it's you don't. It's not hard at all. I mean, it's just it is what it is. It's your story. It's your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not difficult for me to share my story anymore at all look forward to sharing my story. Every time I do, I feel more free. Um, my story to me is an empowerment of what I'm able to achieve in my life. Um, so I don't look at it as negative. And, uh, I guess I would say that I don't relive the past because I have a different mindset now. So it's like, I'm going to that past point from a different perspective. So I'm not having to relive it. I'm seeing it from a completely different perspective. So it's not painful at all. It's, it's freeing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, I don't experience those things the way there's no emotion connected to those things for me anymore. I've cleaned up all of that stuff and it's just, it's just something that's happened in my life, but yeah, I don't have to relive it anymore. Yeah. And I've found that, um, my past is sometimes some of my, one of my best assets because I know how to live free from that today. And I can also be useful to others. So I couldn't have said it better myself yeah. though. It's definitely my best asset hundred yep. percent. So, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I'll touch on this last one and I really like this question. Will this ever get easier? Um, that's a great question because I know we've all been at a point, uh, in recovery where we're like, dude, like, is this really my life now? Um, you know, especially in early recovery and you're sitting there, you're all alone. I mean, for me, I was in a halfway house and I'm thinking like, dude, I'm in a room right now with four bunk beds and like, is this my life? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like it, it definitely gets easier. Um, you know, Uh, you'll actually get to a point in your life where you won't even notice that it's gotten easier. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, it'll be like little moments. One day you'll look up and realize that it's been a really, really long time since you've even had a craving, uh, since you've even thought about doing drugs. And that all comes from all the things that we talk about in this podcast, you know, doing esteemable things every day, um, things like that. But I mean, eventually your sober date will be like a date that you look up and you'll be like, wow, uh, I guess it's my sober date. It's like, you weren't even really looking forward to it because you already, you're past all the the stuff that you did in your past. You're just living your life now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my biggest piece of advice for that is just to stay focused and, uh, you know, do the next right thing and keep your recovery over everything else in your life. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that my experience with it is the longer it is, the the more f- fulfilling um, my life gets. Like the the more enjoyment I get out of living. Um, you know, life life is life, and sometimes you know it gets difficult, and sometimes you know it's a I don't know. Sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's hard. But one thing's for sure is that my life is far more fulfilling than it's ever been before. Yep. Uh, I get joy out of living. I, I've been sort of lazy, and I haven't exercised. And I got up and I ran four miles this morning, and I went out and I sat on my back porch when I got done, and it was the sun was just breaking. There were birds oh, chirping. Ass. Yeah, there was no wind, which is in, in, in extremely rare where we live. Yeah. And uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. And I just I just was thinking, man, like, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is when I'm here, man. This moment of quiet and peace after a nice run this morning. It was just, it was so fantastic. And I could have never experienced anything like that before. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's just, that's where it's at. So Yeah. And I think... The one thing I always try to talk about anytime, whether I'm speaking from behind a podium or just on this, I try to talk about like, just because um, I don't drink or use drugs anymore doesn't mean life is easy. I think it's important to understand no. that life life has challenges and it's hard. Um, what's cool is today I have a way to get through all of that stuff where I don't have to drink or use drugs. And that in itself is beyond anything I could have done before I got sober. You know, it's just, it's a different life. And so, um, does it get easier? A hundred percent. Do I still face challenges and struggles? A hundred percent. You know, I do. Yeah. And the beauty of it is, is like, uh, I have a way to get through that stuff. And, um, the, we've talked about spiritual principles a lot and those are things before I got sober that sounded like unattainable goals. But today it's just like being honest. It's being perseverant. It's, uh, you know, being open-minded, it's doing, like you said, esteemable things like those aren't that hard to do in, Mm. in the simplest way. What's, what's hard is just taking the action like we've talked about. So, yeah, I think it does get easier, but it, it's never, all my problems are gone. I think it's important to understand. I would even, I could even flip it and say, uh, it actually doesn't get easier. It just seems a lot easier because you get a lot stronger. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I'm better at dealing with life, then life can go on being life. I just have got the necessary skills and mindset to, you know, deal with the shit that's happening. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, we're about, we're about out of time. How do people find you? I know we talked about Connor Miller media. I think that's what's your Instagram handle. It's a killer Instagram page for people that are listening. It's such a cool page. I really like it. How do people find you and find your photography? Yeah, thank you. Um, so you can find me, my Instagram handle is Connor Miller media. I have a YouTube channel as well, where I make videos and stuff like that. It's Connor Miller media as well. Um, and then if you want to find anything about the trucking company, you can just type in www.ardentx.co. Um, it'll also be on my Instagram page as well. If you ever go to that page. Perfect. And we'll put all of that in the handle and stuff for the pod, for the podcast. When we upload it, we're going to upload it today. So it'll be out today and it'll be on any, um, any platform that you have Spotify, uh, the podcast app on the iPhone, any any platform you have, you can pretty much find Except ours. Except for YouTube. Yeah, we don't have YouTube yet. Which nobody is... wants to look at Kyle's fucking face. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. right. That's what I thought too, but then they started watching. <laughs> yeah, well, Connor, thank you so much, man. It is awesome to have guests that are just out doing life, living life, experiencing life, and uh, doing it in, in a sober way and, and just 
killing it, man. It's so awesome. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, this is one of this is one of my this is one of my favorites, man. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to think coming in, and I mean that's the beauty of life today, though. You get to not know what to think and and walk away an hour later and just be loving it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. If you always knew what was going to happen, it would be boring. That's right. True that, man. So yeah, thank you so much for being a and, part of it. And, and anyone looking to reach out to us, uh, you can get a hold of us at recoveredafpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. We also have an Instagram page. It's called recoveredafpodcast. Yep, absolutely. So thanks again, Connor, man. It was killer. Thank you guys for having me.